Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I am Aaron Stump, and we are in Chapter 7 of the podcast talking about meta-theory of typed programming languages and type theories. And today, I would like to take a tiny digression. Actually, it really doesn't take us off the path of what we were talking about at all, which is why it's such a serendipitous and perfect uh, situation. Uh, Some friends of mine over on the Formality Telegram channel are discussing, or have recently been discussing, uh, normalization, sort of the relationship between normalization, type preservation, and logical consistency. So when we're designing a type theory intended to be used as a logic, we, as we've talked about several times here in this chapter, we definitely want logical consistency. So we want to know, and from a type theoretic perspective, that means we want to know that not every type is inhabited. Inhabited meaning there is some term that has that type. So we, we don't want every type to have some term that has that type because then we're not distinguishing types that are... Um, provable from types that are not. They're all provable. We're making no distinctions, so it's not interesting. So anyway, uh, so the question that's arisen on this conversation on the um, Formality Telegram channel is uh, what, you know, so we generally, we're trying to prove normalization to ensure that we have logical consistency, but how exactly does that work? So we just prove normalization, and that means it's consistent. What if, I mean, what if we have a bunch of proof rules that are all, where there is no, um, you know, typing rules, so we have a bunch of term constructs that are all in normal form. Let's say we have no reduction semantics whatsoever, and they let you prove everything, you know? So, okay, now we have normalization, but we don't have consistency. So what's the deal? Um, well, the... Uh, let's, so that's what I want to talk about in this episode a little bit. Uh, and um, I want to start off by saying that, okay, so this sort of traditional way that comes really from proof theory that people have uh, thought about this problem, you know, in proof theory, we've got some proofs and we have some sort of situations that make it difficult for us to argue inductively that we can't have proved false. Okay, that's, that's really the problem. Like we, when you look at our proof rules, let's say we're trying to, to show that you didn't prove the formula false. Uh, yeah, let's just, for simplicity, let's limit ourselves to the case where we actually have a false, a symbol for false, and we, you know, we're going to think of consistency as meaning that that false formula isn't provable. So, uh, you know, you start doing uh, induction uh, for your rules and there is no introduction. So we're going to, let's say we're in natural deduction. So for every uh, connective of the logic, we have an introduction rule, which tells you sort of how to prove it, and an elimination rule, which tells you kind of how to use a proof of that fact if you have one. And there's an elimination rule for false. So if you've proved false, you're allowed to prove anything. That's the usual intuitionistic elimination rule for falsehood. But there isn't any introduction rule for false. You can't prove false. So the only way you're going to get it is if somehow uh, you you have an inconsistency. And it's, I mean, so somehow you can prove that formula in some indirect way, but you don't have a direct proof of false. That's 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 the nature of false. So then you sort of start going through your other connectives and you say, um, uh, well, you know, what if? You know, you're trying to reason by induction, and you say, um, 
okay, so I'm trying to prove there isn't any proof of false. And there's no introduction for false directly. That's great. You say, okay, well, what if, the per what if I had a proof that ended with the and introduction rule, the rule that lets you prove an and? Wait, wait, wait. That's no good for driving false. It derives and. It derives a conjunction. It doesn't derive false. Great. I don't have to worry about that case. What about um, the rule for introducing an implication? In fact, the rule of all of your introduction rules, the rules that let you prove ors, the rules that let you prove implications. I mean, never mind the exact formalities of how the rules are set up. But the point is, those rules all let you prove those kind of formulas. They're not giving you proofs of false. Okay, cool. Wow, this is easy. Our logic is, showing our logic is consistent. It's really straightforward. Well, then you come to the elimination rules. And so that's where you have a, a little more, that's where you have some, a problem, really. Because you say, okay, uh, now what if I used an and elimination? So what, in other words, I proved false, because elimination rule says if I have a conjunction, then what can I deduce from that? And the and rule says if you have a, if you proved a conjunction, you can deduce either the first conjunct, if you wish, or the second conjunct. So from a proof of A and B, you're allowed to conclude A, and you're also allowed to conclude B. And to so say, actually, you know, it's kind of awkward, but with an and elimination, I could derive false, because what if I had proved false and something, and then I use my and elimination rule to project out that first component and say, okay, now I got to prove a false. So what, uh, and, and implication elimination is even, even more awkward. So we basically, and disjunction elimination, they're all the same. All the elimination rules are ones that might have been proving, they might prove false, depending on what the premises are. And so the uh, beautiful strategy of proving consistency by normalization is to, to show, you want to show that, um, I mean, there's different sort of variants of this, but the simplest thing is to say, let's assume I have no assumptions, okay? I'm just proving this thing just by itself from no assumptions whatsoever. So, you know, I can prove true from no assumptions or true and true or, you know, false implies true. I can prove for various things. Um, you know, P implies P. I, I can prove stuff that's sort of interesting. Uh, it, let's just limit ourselves for this discussion to just intuitionistic propositional logic. So, uh, but um, if I have no assumptions whatsoever, um, then uh, I can't do things, I won't be in a situation where I'm assuming, like say, oh, let's assume false and false, and then let's use my and elimination rule to conclude false. I'm not, that's not going to happen because I'm not going to have any assumptions, okay? So the only way I could be using one of my elimination rules is if I first had uh, proved a conjunction, like, you know, not from an assumption, but just proved it by itself as sort of a proof of A and a proof of B. So in other words, if I introduced a conjunction and then immediately eliminated it, that's the only kind of pattern that, that I might have if I don't have any, uh, any assumptions. Because I can always do eliminations from my assumptions. I could do this in a nested way, right? I could, I could assume some big conjunction of a bunch of stuff, and then I could project out and project out and project out and finally get to false. But if I don't have any assumptions whatsoever, I'm in a closed context, closed typing context from the Cray Howard perspective, then the only thing that could really be happening is I've introduced a conjunction, and then I'm eliminating it. And that is exactly what normalization results are designed to prove that you can't, that, that can't be happening. Because a normalization result 
you know, is taking detours, that's some of the early proof theoretic terminology and natural deduction anyway, for this kind of situation, we have an introduction followed by an elimination. It's kind of silly. You didn't need to do that, right? I say, I've got this amazing proof of A and this amazing proof of B, and I put them together to get proof of A and B, and then I project out the A part. Well, that was silly. I had an amazing proof of A to start with. I might as well have just used that. So that's a detour when you do an introduction immediately followed by an elimination. And proof theory, has, you know, a central part of proof theory is showing normalization that these detours can be eliminated. And so if you eliminate all the detours from your proofs, then you will never need to worry about this case where you have an introduction followed by elimination. So the only situation um, you need to worry about are all your introductions. And those obviously can't introduce false. So, um, you know, so this is sort of, uh, that's a little bit of the proof theoretic perspective. We're kind of showing we can remove detours from proofs. Now, from a type theoretic perspective, you might distinguish this a little bit and say, and this is exactly what uh, people were talking about on this Telegram channel for the formality language of my friends, Victor Maya and John Burnham. And they, uh, you know, so they're, they're saying, well, actually, if you think about this process of removing detours, we could sort of think of this as having two parts. And this is quite a standard way to view this. Um, we're normalizing, we're showing that there's a process, this detour elimination process, we're showing that that terminates, that eventually you must eliminate all detours. So that's kind of your normalization. I said terminates, but let's, you know, again, distinguish termination and normalization. So this is a normalization result is all you really need. You just need to show there's some way to eliminate the detours. You don't, termination would say all the ways you might try to reduce the term are guaranteed to eliminate all your detours. We don't need that. We just need normalization. So you prove normalization that this process of eliminating detours is guaranteed to, to terminate, to, to, to be, you know, to normalize. And then, um, separately from that, you observe a type preservation property, which says that the type of a, of a term you start with is the same, you can have the same type for the term you get by reducing one step. So, you, you know, we talked about type preservation earlier, but, you know, so here we're thinking about it kind of, we need to make sure that as we're removing detours, we still have... Uh, a typable term, and that the type hasn't changed. I mean, if the type could change, uh, that you know that could be a problem for this line of reasoning. So, um, so that's that's one tried and true way to get uh, logical consistency is to show a normalization result, and then and additionally show type preservation. Now, it's you know this uh, this is perfectly acceptable. I just wanted to point out, and this is probably what inspired me to do this podcast in response to this conversation was happening, um, the, uh, this, this episode. In Sadil, that's actually not how we do it. <laughs> we actually don't do it that way. In fact, I don't have a proof of type preservation for Sadil. I just have a proof of logical consistency. Uh, and in fact, I don't have a proof of normalization for Sadil either. <laughs> I just have a proof of logical consistency. And how does that work? What this is like? Some people's heads might be spinning at this, uh, these statements, um, or skeptically, you know, shit wagging at these statements. Well, this is where we come back to a topic we've touched on earlier. I forgot what chapter it is now about realizability. So most normalization proofs. Um, Many normalization proofs are based on this idea of realizability. And at some point, when you add impredicative polymorphism, those are the only normalization proofs that are currently known. 
So uh, they're based on the idea of realizability. And uh, the, you know, so the way we do this in Sedil is basically rather than proving normalization as one theorem and type preservation as another theorem, we directly prove a realizability result. We give a semantics, a realizability semantics for our types. We say, you know, A arrow B is the type for terms which, when you call them on realizers of A, they reduce to, or they are, or reduce to, or are beta equivalent to realizers of B. You know, so we, uh, and actually, sorry, there's an important wrinkle there. In the semantics I'm using for Sedil, we say uh, realizers of A, uh, of a function type A or B, are terms that are beta equivalent, or beta eta equivalent, to a lambda abstraction. And then they have this property I just said. If you apply them to realizers of A, they are realizers of B. Okay, so the critical thing, though, is to say that the realizers uh, are beta equivalent to lambda abstractions. They have to be introduction forms. They have to be equivalent to introduction forms. Um, and this kind of uh, helps make your connection where you're not, um, you don't have to worry about sort of eliminations uh, inhabiting your types. So, um, so we directly prove by one, in, you know, big induction on the structure of types, we directly prove uh, that if a term has type A, then that term realizes A in the sense of this realizability semantics. And that's enough to give you logical consistency. And it doesn't, it's not really an obvious composition of type preservation and normalization. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share this kind of somewhat different perspective on it. But certainly the normalization plus type preservation gives you logical consistency. Viewpoint, in my opinion, is, is totally sound and, and, you know, makes good sense and is, is practicable because a lot of, you know, most of the time you want type preservation anyway. So the only reason I didn't deal with this in Sedil is I just wanted the quickest path possible to, <laughs> the simplest, most direct path possible to a, a logical consistency result. And this, to my knowledge, is it. So anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. And that's all I have for you today. And next time we'll continue on with, uh, let's see. So we've been talking about meta-theoretic properties. Um, we might talk about normalization a little bit more, but it's time to talk about confluence pretty soon as well. Okay, thanks again for listening.